Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. It is great to be with you this morning in church once again. And, um, you know, as our church has grown, it has produced a challenge for your pastors, okay? I just want you to feel my pain a little bit here because here's the thing that happens. I know so many of your faces, and honestly, I know so few of your names. Um, Your names have overwhelmed the capacity of the memory slots in my brain to put the faces with the names. And so, do you know what my favorite piece of church equipment is around here? Uh, The offering bag. The second one is the name tag. The name tag is a very important piece of equipment for the pastor because it gives me uh, just a little bit of help in putting a face with the name. So, here's my question. I've been thinking about this. What name would you put on the name tag if you were trying to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, okay? So like, what's the one word name that you just slap it on there and that's, that's who we are? There's a lot of different um, candidates for that name. I mean, we could call ourselves Christian. That, that's not a bad name. But did you know that the name Christian is only used three different times in the Bible? Two of them are derogatory. And uh, it's not a bad name. It means little, little Christ or we're trying to imitate Christ. It's a good name. Um, It doesn't really help clarify us really all that much. Um, Jimmy Carter came along a few years ago and he he wanted to identify himself as a born-again Christian. I guess that was to distinguish himself from the non-born-again Christians which is not a thing. You understand that? Okay, so it's like that, that doesn't really help too much. Um, you know, uh, CNN, uh, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, they would be interested in knowing you as an evangelical. Okay, not a bad word, but it's really being used more as a voting block now. And so I don't even know if that's the best word to put on your name tag. Um, the people that are kind of outsiders, they don't really know what goes on in here and they're afraid to step in here. They would just probably put the name on you. You're the religious people. You're the religious. And so maybe that's the name. That's not a great name either because Jesus was not a big fan of religion. Um, he, he just kind of put that in the category of man-made formulas trying to climb their, their way to God. That's not a great name. So what's the name we would use on the name tag? I think this is the best name for a follower of Jesus. Are you ready? Here it is. Follower of Jesus. Christ follower. We are followers. Now, who were the ones in the scriptures that were known as the followers of Jesus? There is another name. Do you know what it is? It starts with a D. Disciple. So maybe disciple is the right name. So my question for you is this. You've gathered yourselves in the congregation, the gathering, the weekly gathering of Gospel City Church. My question to you is this. Are you a disciple? How would you know if you are a disciple? Well, this gives us a clue. The question I'm asking you is, are you a follower of Jesus? What evidence would you present to me to say this past week I took steps behind Jesus? I walked where Jesus was walking. I was going in the direction Jesus went. Could you offer evidence? Would you accurately be able to wear the name tag disciple? That's the question we're going to try to answer here. So in order to do that, we need to see the characteristics of a disciple. We're going to see that here in Luke chapter 5. We're going to get introduced to the very first disciple of Jesus. And so let's begin reading here. Luke 5 beginning in verse 1. 
On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Same body of water we talked about last week. The Sea of Galilee, major feature there in the northern region of Israel. This is where Jesus was, was roaming and teaching in the synagogues there. And at one particular point, the crowds pressed in on him. And notice what happened in verse 2. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats uninvited, by the way. That's great. That's awesome. Which was Simon's. By the way, Simon, um, he had two names in the scripture. We also know him as Peter. Jesus is going to change his name later. So if you see Simon, Peter, or even Luke uses both names in just a minute together, Simon, Peter, two names, one guy, same guy. So he gets into Simon's boat and he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Can you see the picture? I mean, the crowds are pressing in on Jesus and they're like backing him into the water and maybe he's like standing in ankle deep or knee deep in the water and he sees a boat. He's like, I think I better go get in a boat or they're gonna drown me. So he gets in the boat, the boat backs up a little bit and now he's got a perfect amphitheater to teach them. And interestingly, it says he sat down. In the first century, if you taught the Bible, you were expected to sit down. It's a little different today, right? You kind of expect a guy teaching the Bible to stand up. I got a lot of energy. It's like I have trouble sitting down when I'm teaching the Bible. And um, Jesus is a little more self-disciplined than I am, I guess. And so he sat down in the boat. And in verse 5, it says, Simon, in verse 4, it says, And he, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep. Everybody underlined the word deep in verse 4. It's going to be a critical component of a quality disciple of Jesus. Put out into the deep, and now, he says, let down your nets for the catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And also... Uh, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. The term men there is generic for both genders, mankind, men and women. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The word disciple is not used in the story, and yet we know these guys as disciples because of what they did when they encountered Jesus. They began to follow him. Now, I know many of you here, um, you've been attending Gospel City Church for, you just almost messed it up. Didn't you? you heard that. I almost did it. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do it. Oh, I caught myself there. You've been attending Gospel City Church for many years, and you realize why this place exists. 
You understand what we are doing right now. You understand that every calorie we burn around here is for one single and solitary purpose. If you are new to Gospel City Church, you need to understand even though we have a new name, we have not changed the reason we exist. It can be summed up in four words. We glorify God by making disciples. That was five words because I put the preposition in there. But glorify God by making what? Disciples. Do you know what that means? Here, here, here it is. If you are not interested in being a disciple, you are in the wrong church. If you are not interested in making disciples, you are in the wrong church. We're going to make you feel uncomfortable around here if you are not interested in following Jesus, if you're not interested in taking your next step toward Jesus, if you are not interested in turning your back on anything else you're following and following Jesus, we're going to make you feel really uncomfortable around here. If you're not interested in helping others follow Jesus, this is not the right church for you. You need to find another church. By the way, if you're not interested in being a disciple, don't go to Trinity Evangelical Free Church either because they're making disciples there too. I was there yesterday for a wedding, right on the wall, plastered right on the wall, everyone making, everyone a disciple, everyone making disciples. So don't go there. You'll have to find another church that's not making disciples and you'll feel really at home in that church. This is what we call church growth around here at Gospel City Church. Um, now, I'm not trying to run you off. I am inviting you into the world of disciple making and discipleship. You see, we take this word, it's a noun, but we turn it into all kinds of things. Discipling is a verb. Discipleship, it's a process. It's the only reason we do what we do around here. So we need to clarify what a disciple is. And the simplest way to put it is this, disciple, follower of Jesus. If we want to expand on that a little bit, let's use this definition. Right quickly, it's not gonna be up long. Or take a picture, that's fine too. Disciples are those who have heard the gospel, turned from their sinful condition, trusted Christ as Savior, and are continually being transformed as they follow him, making disciples of others. Based on that definition, are you a disciple? Could you honestly wear that name tag this morning and say, that's me. Hello, my name is Disciple. I am following Jesus. What that means is this, discipleship doesn't begin with your initiative. Discipleship begins with Jesus calling you to follow him as he did with Peter. If you heard Jesus, maybe even right now in this service, you are hearing the voice of Jesus saying, you know what, you need to get moving. Where you're at, it's not enough. You need to take a step. You need to take a step toward me. Now, some of you have never taken your first step. You've never heard Jesus calling you. In my prayers this morning, you're gonna hear Jesus saying, follow me, follow me. And you in obedience to that command will take your first step toward Jesus. 
and qualify as a disciple. There are no Christians who are not also disciples. Christians follow Jesus. Those who are born again follow Jesus. Real evangelicals follow Jesus. They are disciples. And so they've heard the voice of Jesus. And secondly, they've turned from their sinful condition. The reality is this. Everybody is following someone or something. You say, I'm not, I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. I'm a much better leader than I am a follower. If you knew anything about leadership, you would know that the best leaders are the best followers. And so the reality is we're all following something. It's like, not me. Show me your social media accounts and let me see how many people you are following. We all want to be influenced by others. And so whether it's a, a celebrity or an artist or a politician or a preacher or, or an author, we, we all are being influenced by others. You know what? Jesus is not interested in being one of the people you follow. He demands you to turn your back on every other voice and follow him. And unless you do that, you cannot be a Christ follower. We've turned from our sinful condition. We've trusted Christ as Savior. And then we are being continually transformed as we follow him, making disciples of others. It's not just about this one-on-one relationship with Jesus. We are now following him on the mission that he is involved in in the world. Are you a disciple? Well, we need to see what a disciple does, how a disciple responds. And so we're going to see these four things from the life of the very first disciple, Simon, here in this passage. So here's point number one. Disciples hunger for the word of God. Luke is very specific about what the ministry of Jesus was. And even though he records over and over these miracles that he does, healing the sick and and feeding the hungry and and casting out demons, he's very specific that he came for the purpose of preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And it says here in verse 1, these people pressed in upon him, Jesus, because they wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus was speaking the word of God. Disciples are hungry for the word of God. This is great news for people that populate planet earth. You know why? We don't have to imagine what God is like. We don't have to make up a view of God. We have a God who has spoken to us. He's learned our language. He has he has humbled himself to speak to us, to tell us his will and his ways. And Jesus was preaching the word of God as he spoke. God spoke, Jesus was speaking as God, the word of God, and people hungered to hear it. Let me ask you, what is your relationship with the word of God? We don't live during the three-year ministry that Jesus was physically, audibly teaching the word of God. Um, They had no digital recordings, and so we can't turn on... YouTube and hear the message. 
we have to rely upon the written word of God and the messengers like Luke that accurately recorded the word of God. What is your relationship to this book? Are you listening to the word of God? A true disciple opens his Bible, puts his face in the middle of this. He reads it. He studies it. He meditates on it. He memorizes it. Are you listening to the word of God? Let me ask you this, press in a little more. When was the last time you opened your Bible? If the last time you opened your Bible was last Sunday when Pastor Trent said, open your Bible, I have every right to challenge you as to whether or not you're a disciple of Jesus. What is your relationship to this word of God? God has spoken and a true disciple hungers for the word of God. Not only does he listen to the word of God, he learns from the word of God. Notice what Jesus said uh, down here in, in verse three. It says, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Do you understand that following Jesus is a learned behavior? Disciples must be taught. We are not born with the ability to follow Jesus. We have to be taught by the word of God, by the spirit of God, leading us to take steps in the direction Jesus is moving. It's a learned behavior. And so we listen to the word of God. We learn from the word of God. And then we are transformed and renewed by the word of God. It's not just about collecting information. It's about that information producing transformation as we obeyed it. Every time I open the Bible, I'm encouraged. I'm warned. I'm steered. I'm rebuked. I'm sharpened. I'm shaped. Disciples view the world around them through the lens of the Word of God. We watch the news through the lens of the Word of God. And when we see a mass shooting or we find out about a conflict in the Middle East or, or anything else that puts itself in front of us on the headlines, we view all of that through the Word of God. Disciples hunger for the Word of God. Secondly, disciples trust Jesus' absolute control. The story picks up now in verse 4, and it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for the catch. Now, Simon was a professional fisherman. Is there anybody else in here that would identify yourself as a fisherman? Raise your hand if you would say, I am a fisherman. They have, we have one fisherman down here. We have two, um, three. I, I am the furthest thing from a fisherman. I, I call myself fish repellent. I have gone in boats with real fishermen, and even the real fishermen can't catch anything when I'm in the boat for some reason. I'm, I'm fish repellent. Now, he, here is Simon. He has learned to catch fish. His livelihood is dependent upon his ability to get a fish out of the water and into the boat. 
and then to sell said fish for money. He's not catching fish because he wants to eat them. He's catching fish because he wants to sell them so he can make money. That's his livelihood. And so here comes Jesus. This professional fisherman has been an absolute loser the night before at his profession. No fish. Jesus shows up and begins to give him advice on his fishing technique. Jesus is not a professional fisherman. Jesus is a woodworker. Maybe he built the boat, but he doesn't know how to catch fish. Unless, of course, you actually created the fish. And you have absolute control over the fish. Now, Jesus could have commanded the fish to come to Peter. Jesus could have had the fish jump out of the water into Peter's boat. That's not what he does. He tells Peter to move. He tells him to move to a deeper place. It's a characteristic of a true disciple. He's always moving to a deeper place with Jesus, at the direction of Jesus. Now, this is really cool for me because seriously, two weeks ago, I was on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, okay? It's not a huge lake. It's about 13 miles by nine miles. You can actually see from end to end. It's not huge. And apparently when he meets Simon, Simon's at a shallow place, and he tells him to launch out into the deep. Now, what you have to know about the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. It actually sits 685 feet below sea level. And at its deepest point, it's about 140 feet deep. And Jesus says, that's where you're going to have to go if you want to see anything miraculous happen in your life. It's a great illustration for so many people in this room. If the truth was known, you are content swimming in the shallow places of casual, safe Christianity. And you're wondering why God seems so far off. Why don't I ever see anything miraculous happen? If you want to see something miraculous happen, you got to move from the shallow into the pool and go deeper. Some of you have walked with Jesus for 30 years. Guess what? Today, Jesus is calling you to go deeper. No matter how deep you have gone, there is always a call from Jesus to go to a deeper place in your walk with him. And so, notice what Peter says in response to Jesus. Verse Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night. We took nothing, but at your word, I will. That is the language of a true disciple. Some of you are here this morning, and honestly, you'd say, Trent, I am absolutely exhausted. I have been walking with Jesus for so long. Why can I just get a little rest? Maybe I can sleep in on Sunday morning. I'm just so, I've been serving so long, and I'm so worn out, I'm exhausted. But you know what a true disciple says? At 
your word. I will scrape myself off my bed. I will get to the gathering place where Jesus is worshiped because I don't want to miss anything or any place he wants to take me deeper. Some of you are absolutely financially an embarrassment. You're broke. You say, Trent, I can't follow Jesus. I got no resources. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I'm overspent. There's not room in the budget. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet financially. You know what a true disciple says? At your word, I will give sacrificially. At your word, I will write a check and transfer what God has given me so that I can be involved in what God is doing in the world, making disciples. Not because I can figure it out, not because it makes any sense. I've tried to make it make sense on paper, I can't. But at your word, I will obey and go deeper in my giving. Some of you would say, I'm hurt. I've been abused, I've been a victim, I've been mistreated, I've been neglected, I've been wounded. But a true disciple says, at your word, even though it doesn't make any sense, I will forgive, I will love, I will engage people, and I will allow Jesus to be my protector. Some of you would say, I am done with my marriage. I've lost all my feelings. I don't see any hope that it's ever gonna change. But at your word, I will serve, I will honor, I will mirror the glory of God. I will forgive as one who has been greatly forgiven and greatly loved by God. I will bend the blessing of my love relationship with Jesus out to the one that I promised to spend the rest of my life with at your word. Some of you would say, I'm scared. I know God's calling me deeper and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't, I, I'm so, I don't have the ability. I'm incapable. I'm underqualified, but I sense that God is leading me to do something on mission with him. And you would say, at your word, I will take the next step. I'll lead that small group. I'll enroll that class. I'll take that seminary course. I will prepare for ministry. I'll go on that mission trip. I'll go into downtown and partner with Transformation Ministries just so I can get out of my safe, shallow, comfortable Christianity. At your word. That's what a true disciple does. Sounds scary, doesn't it? Look here at verse 8. Actually, verse 7. And they signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. This is great news. We don't follow Jesus alone. We have partners that are following Jesus as well. And when our boat is about to sink, we can shout and wave our hands and say, get over here, I need some help. This is what Ben was talking about earlier when we were talking about membership. Why do you wanna be a member of a church? Because your boat's gonna sink. And you're going to need some partners to come over there and help you in the crisis. It's not enough just to come and float in on Sunday morning and be disconnected and just kind of consume around here. You need to be in a small group. You need to have one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship so that you are known and loved and others can help you at a time of crisis. Disciples trust Jesus' absolute authority. Thirdly, disciples have a growing awareness of their sin. Sinfulness. 
Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. You know, before you can follow on, there's a requirement. You must fall down. The first step you take in discipleship is not with your feet. It's with your knees. You know, think about what was going through Peter's mind, okay? He, he just realized all of my ability has produced nothing. Jesus has just overwhelmed him with an abundance, giving him more than he had ever had. He's probably feeling like a loser on that morning he meets Jesus. But his response to Jesus when Jesus gives him the blessing is not, Jesus, thank you. I feel so much better about myself. I, I needed a little energy boost and, and, and you helped me not give up on myself. You gave me hope for a better day. That was not the response of Peter. What was it? He felt absolutely horrible about himself. If you think coming to Jesus is going to be a boost to your self-esteem, you are following the wrong Jesus. Everyone who ever had an encounter with the holiness of God became immediately aware of their sinfulness before him. And before you can be a follower of Jesus, you have to be brought face to face with the reality of your sin. Peter, I don't know what he did the night before. Maybe he was hanging out in the bars. Maybe he had a one-night stand. But there was something about his life that he was convicted by the way that he'd been living. And he actually said to Jesus, get away from me. Why? Because of the intensity of the conviction in his presence. And yet, in love, what did Jesus do? I'm not moving. I'm coming after you in grace, in love. I want you, sinful man, to follow me. Jesus could have had his pick of anybody he wanted. He could have gone to the temple and got one of the religious leaders to follow him. But he went to a sinful guy. Does that give you hope based on the way you lived last week? Jesus invites you to come and follow him as a sinful man. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more aware of your sinfulness you become. That's why a lot of people do not want a discipleship relationship with Jesus. Because every encounter with Jesus brings you face to face with your sin. I just wanted to feel better about myself when I came to church. You're in the wrong church. We're making disciples around here where we are continually confronted with our sinfulness. Here's the last thing. Disciples make disciples. Look at verse 10. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I'm like, you think that's a lot of fish? You're going to catch a lot of men. You're going to make disciples. You're going to multiply disciples greater than the number of fish. In verse 11, he says, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything. 
and followed him. Now think about that. Jesus had just blessed them with more than they had ever had. He prospered them. He buried them in prosperity. And then he looks at them and says, leave it. You know what the lesson is? Jesus didn't bless them so that they could consume the blessing on themselves. Jesus blessed them so that they could be a distributor of the blessing. The fish weren't for Peter, James, and John. The fish were for the people on the shore. And in order for Peter to follow Jesus, he had to leave everything. The fish, the boats, the business, the people. The more abundance you have, the harder it is to leave it to follow Jesus. You know what that means? Your success, your prosperity, may be the thing that destroys your ability to follow Jesus. Unless you are willing to understand, this is not given to me to consume, this is given to me to distribute, to make disciples of others. My question to you is this, are you really a disciple or are you just a consumer of God's blessings? One of the things that we've learned in 10 years of planting this church and watching it grow and just watching hundreds and hundreds of people come and be a part of our church, we, we are blessed around here. We've seen miraculous things happen around here. There's been an abundance of men and women. We're collecting and gathering. The, the nets are breaking around here, in case you haven't noticed. But we've noticed this. Bigger churches are more likely to attract consumers. Disciples fight consumerism with everything they have. And if all you want to be is a consumer of the spiritual groceries that are distributed around here, you're never going to follow Jesus into a deeper discipleship relationship. Are you a consumer? Or are you a disciple maker? Disciples make disciples. Based on that one statement, can you really say you're a disciple? Who are the people you are investing in? Who are the people that you are teaching? Who are the people that you are loving and praying for and sending and encouraging and warning? Disciples pray to make more disciples. Disciples give to make more disciples. Disciples go and are sent to make more disciples. The very purpose of our lives, according to Jesus, is to catch others, to make others 
followers of Jesus. Disciples lead their families to follow Jesus. They lead their families in worship. They lead their families in Bible reading. They lead their families by challenging them and coaching them and warning them and correcting them and praying for them. Disciples meet with one another in small groups. Disciples lead small groups. Disciples meet one-on-one with others, maybe a text message or a phone call or a coffee meeting to help somebody take their next step toward Jesus. Disciples go on mission trips. Disciples cross socioeconomic boundaries and go to hard places that they would never otherwise go, even if it's just five miles from your house, to go into the downtown areas of South Bend and to partner with like people like Transformation Ministries and our friends down there to make disciples of others. Disciples go to the nations and other people groups. Disciples train pastors and disciples plant churches and disciples that live in Elkhart go to the campus in Elkhart. They don't come and consume the spiritual groceries in Granger. They build spiritual groceries and they distribute spiritual groceries in Elkhart. Are you a disciple? Are you a consumer? Let's bow our heads. I just want to give you a moment to hear the word of God, to hear Jesus calling you. What is the next step? For some of you, it means I need to forgive the hurt. For some of you, it means I need to lead a small group. For some of you, I need to lead my family in prayer. For some of you, you need to enroll in seminary. For some of you, you need to go plant a church. Some of you need to go help Elkhart plant that campus. Some of you need to go to an unreached people group. I don't know. A disciple is one who leaves everything, is willing to go anywhere at any time to speak to anyone the words of Jesus so that you and that disciple can gain everything that matters. I just want you to remain seated right now. I've asked Micah just to sing this song over us. And as he does, would you just contemplate what is the next step that Jesus wants you to take? For some of you, you've never taken your first step toward Jesus. You've never been saved. You've never become a Christian. You've never been born again. And this is the decisive moment for you to turn from whatever else you're following by faith, trust, and follow Jesus. For the rest of us, most of us here, we've been following Jesus, but Jesus is calling you deeper. Get out of the shallow end of the pool. How would God call you to follow? Just remain seated and let God speak to your heart as Micah sings over us.